Welcome to the message podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. Make sure you join us each Sunday at 9 a.m. on Facebook Live. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road and a new campus in East Rockingham at 414 Southeast Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, at our Harrisonburg campus, we have a Spanish campus that meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. Check out our website, cotnaz.org, for more information. I welcome you back to our Advent series uh, for the last time this year to the newborn king. Uh, throughout this Advent season, we've been seeking to understand more fully what it really means to worship Christ as king. What does it mean that Christmas was the Advent, the coming of a king, and not just any king, but our king as Christians? How does that change, yes, this Christmas, yes, our celebration, our worship this year, but how should that transcend our lives into the new year that is so quickly approaching upon us? We have seen it throughout our study that the arrival of Jesus as king was a long-promised event in the story of God and his people. Generations long to see the fulfillment that we celebrate every year in Christmas, the longing for a king. They knew Jesus would be different, that he would use his power differently, and that he was coming to lead and to shepherd the people of God with power and authority. And the promise yet stands today that his kingdom will rule forever. And now we know that throughout this kingdom, the king is presenting an upside-down way of living, an upside-down or rather right-side-up way of living. The whole Christmas story is not really what we would have made of it, right? Like maybe we would have had a a nicer stay or a a more pronounced entrance for the king Jesus, but no, the story is upside-down, and that reflects well the sense of the kingdom of God, that it is upside-down from our reality in our world completely different. And we know that this king that has come at Christmas has ushered in his new kingdom, this new reality, and that it also is pointing towards the future where he will return and reign forever. The Christmas story is not just about the past. It is equally as much about his return, about his coming again in the future. So to celebrate the baby-born king in the manger is to celebrate the triumphant return of the king in his glory in a totally new and different way in a time yet to come. Scripture tells us that he is returning to make all things new. And it is within that reality, within that beautiful truth that we have a great hope today as followers and worshipers of Jesus that he will return and make all things new. As we approach the celebration of Christmas this week with the gathering of our families and the carols and the cookies, we want to look one more time at a miraculous truth about this newborn king. This morning, we want to try to answer an important question, one that is important for each and every one of us, regardless of how and where we walked in to the story this morning. And that question is this, what kind of king is this? What kind of king is this that we worship at Christmas? We know a little bit about kings of the earth. We know that rulers and people in authority, often we understand what they're like and how they lead. But what about the king come as Jesus? What is he like? What is our king like? 
Spoiler alert, I want to give you the answer as we dive in. The king we celebrate at Christmas, Jesus, is the king with all the power. All the power. Yet, yet, he is the all-compassionate one. The all-powerful king is the all-compassionate king. The one with all the majesty has all the mercy. And that is good news today, friends. The king with all majesty has all the mercy. Jesus as king is a totally different reality than what we know, completely counter to what we see on earth. Jesus doesn't use his power to rule over us as a ruthless tyrant, but to care for his people with tender mercy as a shepherd would care for his sheep. Therefore, we as his people no longer have to be afraid. We no longer have to be in control. The gift of the king at Christmas says that I am not my own and I am not on my own. It's the good news today, friends. The picture that emerges of Jesus as the all-powerful king, yet compassionate shepherd, seems almost a little bit like a contrast to us, doesn't it? In our experience, those in power will usually use it to further their own agenda, to increase their power, their influence, or their profits. And if we were honest, we can recognize a little bit of that affinity for power in our own lives, can't we? Like, let's just have an honest conversation for a minute. We want to control our TVs with a little remote, what? Remote control. And if you're in my house, I want the remote, right? <laughs> Heard a little commentary over here from my wife. It may be... <laughs> See, we recognize this because if I have the remote, we're going to watch about three things at once because we're not watching commercials, right? We're going to to jump between a couple different shows because we're not going to watch commercials. I want to be in control. If we need to go somewhere together, I need to drive. And if it's more than an hour, I'm sorry. I don't want to ride with you. I need to be in control. It's nothing personal. It's a control issue I'm working through. Pray for me, okay? Don't judge me. But you see this, right? Because if someone hops in your car and they start uh, jockeying with the radio, what do you do? Like, no, 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 you, you just don't do that. Stop messing with the radio. Roll the wind up. Like we all at some level have an affinity for power and control and being able to organize our environments to where it fits what we perceive will be a comfortable or a benefit for us. Throughout politics, throughout finances, throughout world affairs, we we see this. The essence of those institutions is thriving on power and control and an effort to increase both. But friends, that's not Jesus. That's not the kingdom that he ushers in at Christmas. And so as we step into our Christmas story one more time, I invite you to begin turning to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to see the author, Matthew, highlighting a contrast of character and power between King Herod, who was kind of the guy, the man, if you will, in this region around where Jesus was born. He's kind of the man, the portrait of power, and we're going to see a contrast given by Matthew between his power in the worldly realm and the power of a baby born in a manger What Matthew does here in a sharing of prophecies is to sketch out a portrait of this newborn king about how he is all-powerful, yet he is all-compassionate. So if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 1, and let's start our dive into the Scriptures with a word of prayer. Father, we uh, dive into your story, Lord. 
uh, your story that has become our story as we come in to worship you, Lord. And so will you open our eyes, open our hearts today to receive your truth, Lord, to know you more, to know you intimately, our King. Lord, we love you and we thank you, and it's in your name. Amen and amen. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read to verse 3 in Paul's uh, reading out of the NIV today. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it arose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. As Matthew opens chapter 2, he's introducing us to the power structures of the world in King Herod. Now, King Herod, we spoke a little bit about him in our first dive into our Advent series, but he was a prime example of worldly power. King Herod was a prime example of worldly power. He was ruthless. He was violent. He used any means necessary to maintain control. This went far beyond the TV and the dial on the radio. Most of his power, though he was in charge and he was under the influence of Rome, most of his power was used for his personal gain to maintain his position, his status. He had done ruthless things such as killing his wife, his children, many of his closest friends, and even local religious leaders. Anyone who threatened his power or threatened to take away Herod's control, he eliminated that threat. One ancient writer wrote that it was better to be one of Herod's pigs than to be one of his sons. That was just a portrait and the understanding that was in that culture of who this man was. And so the reader that is diving into a Matthew's gospel account, he would have known what portrait of power was found in King Herod. And so it's within that power dynamic that these magi arrive to inquire about the real king. As we look at that, like that was a gutsy move, right? Because they're walking up to before a tyrant, before someone known to be ruthless about maintaining control, and they say, hey, we kind of see you're in this palace and you have this thing going, but where's the real king? Like they took their lives in their own hands to say, hey, where's the real king? We've come to worship him, not you. That was a gutsy move. And I think that speaks to the conviction that they had that something had changed, that God had broken through into the human story in a new way. And when Herod heard this, he was greatly disturbed. And it says all of Jerusalem with him. They were terrified of what his reaction might be, what ruthless maneuver he might take. And if you follow the gospel account out, you'll see that he did some treacherous things in light of this news. But that's the portrait of worldly power that Matthew has set up for us to help us understand the perspectives of power in the gospel story. So let's pick back up in verse 4 of chapter 2. It says, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. It says, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, while Herod is taking his first moves in a power play to eliminate this threat of a newborn king, the portrait of true and genuine power begins to come into shape as Matthew is recounting the answer of the religious leaders. 
The contrast has been drawn between the world's power structure and the currency, if you will, of those systems and the newborn coming king with the redemptive power that's going to change the world. When Matthew quotes there in verse 6, or what he's quoting there is really the combination of two different prophecies. And before we throw a flag on Matthew for not getting it quite right, that was a very common practice was to combine prophecies from different times or different prophets that were all pointing to the same event. And that's what he's done here as he says, he's quoting from Micah 5 uh, in verse 2 and 2 Samuel 5 verse 2. They're brought together to give us the power and the portrait of this redemptive power of God that is broken broken onto the scene in a new way. He says, for out of you will come a ruler. And that that idea of a ruler there in the original language carries all those ideas that we would traditionally think of someone in power, a person of authority, a person of power, a person of influence, one to rule or to govern or to give oversight or to exercise their influence over others to be a leader or a guide, or maybe in our terminology, commander-in-chief. The coming king will clearly have all the power, as Matthew has shown us, but he also shows us that he's going to use that power differently. Because he says, this ruler who is coming will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. And so Matthew has sketched this portrait of the all-powerful king, the ruler come as a shepherd. All-powerful, yet all-compassionate. That's Jesus, friends. That's who came at Christmas. That's the essence of God's power in the story that we have stepped into in Christmas. The one with all power is all-compassionate. The one with all majesty has all mercy. And that's the king that the generations were longing for in this story, that they were waiting to break through. He is the shepherd king who cares for you today. Ask yourself, ask yourself in this story, what kind of king do you want? Who do you want ruling over you? Who do you want calling the shots, if you will, in your life? Do you want a king to rule over you as a tyrant, or would you rather have a compassionate, comforting king as your guide? What kind of ruler do you want today? Would you turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 10? We're going to begin in verse 11. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 11, Jesus speaking. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In John chapter 10, we find Jesus declaring for himself just what kind of king he is. And to those in his original audience, the words, I am the good shepherd, would have taken them back to the prophecy of Ezekiel 34, where God specifically promised that he himself would lead and would guide the people. And so that's the imagery that's flooding in as Jesus would proclaim this to his audience. And so within this I am statement, Jesus is affirming that he is God. He is the one with all the power, with all the authority, with a word. He spoke creation into existence, I am am, he says. 
Yet he has not come in abuse of power, rather as a shepherd to guide his people to the Father and to lay down his life for others. He came to redefine and reshape power. That's Christmas. Let's pick back up at verse 12. He says, the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Unlike those in power of the world, the shepherd king has a vested interest in you. The shepherd king come at Christmas has interest in you, in your story, and what your life produces. The shepherd king knows you. The shepherd king loves you today. And the reality is painted within this short parable that there is an enemy. There is an enemy, and just a few verses before, Jesus has described this enemy as the one who tries to come and to steal and to kill and destroy, and it's in the face of that enemy, it's in the face of that real threat that our shepherd king, the all-compassionate one, exercises his power, his authority to guide and protect and strengthen and carry you forward. It's the shepherd king we serve. Let's pick back up in our text at verse 14. Jesus says again, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's Christmas, friends. That's the story that we've been celebrating. That's the decorations, the lights, the tent. That's all of it. That's the story. Jesus coming to lay down his life for the sheep. That's the beautiful truth that we are loved by the all-powerful king. We don't have to fear because he is an all-passionate king who cares for us, who came to be one of us. That's Christmas. I'd like to share a story with you today, and for some of you, this voice will be so familiar. But I think through this story, it'll just help tie these ideas together for us. Would you watch with me? The man I'm talking about was not a Scrooge now. He was a kind, a decent, a mostly good man, generous to his family and upright in his dealings with other men, but he just did not believe in all of that incarnation stuff which the churches proclaim at Christmas time. It just did not make sense, and he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He could not swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. He told his wife, I'm truly sorry to distress you, but I'm just not going with you to church this Christmas Eve. He said he'd feel like a hypocrite, that he'd much rather just stay home, but that he would wait up for them. So he stayed, and they went to the midnight service. Now, shortly after the family drove away and the car, snow began to fall. He went to the window to watch the flurries getting heavier and heavier. Then he went back to his fireside chair, began to read his newspaper. Minutes later, he was startled by a thudding sound, and then another, then yet another. At first he thought somebody must be throwing snowballs against the living room window. But when he went to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled out there miserably in the snow. They had been caught in the storm, 
In a desperate search for shelter, they had tried to fly through his large landscape window. That was what had been making the sound. Well, he couldn't let those poor creatures just lie there and freeze. So he remembered the barn where his children stabled their pony. That would provide a warm shelter. All he would have to do is direct the birds into that shelter. Quickly, he put on a coat and galoshes, and he tramped through the deepening snow to the barn, and he opened the doors wide. And inside the barn, he turned on a light so the birds would know the way in. But the birds did not come in. So he figured that food would entice them. He went back into the house and fetched some breadcrumbs and sprinkled those on the snow, making a trail of breadcrumbs to the yellow-lighted, wide-open doorway of the stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs. The birds just continued to flop around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them. He could not. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around them, waving his arms, but instead they scattered in every direction, every direction except into the warm-lighted barn. And that's when he realized that they were afraid of him. They were afraid of him. To him, he reasoned, I'm a strange, terrifying creature. If only I could think of some way to let them know that they can trust me, that I'm not trying to hurt them but to help them, but how? Any move he made tended to frighten them and confuse them. They just would not follow. They would not be led or shooed because they feared him. And he thought to himself, if only I could be a bird now, if I could be a bird and mingle with them and speak their language and tell them not to be afraid, then I could show them the way to the safe warm barn, but I would have to be one of them, wouldn't I? So they could see and hear and understand. At that moment, the church bells began to ring. The sound reached his ears above the sounds of the wind. And he stood there listening to the bells. Adeste Fidelis. Listening to the bells pealing the glad tidings of Christmas. And he sank to his knees in the snow. Paul Harvey, I hope for you and those you love, this will be a wonderfully Merry Christmas. I invite you to YouTube and just Google Paul Harvey. Throughout this Christmas season, I, my prayer for us as a congregation, for us as followers of Jesus, is that we would worship I know that's probably not the deepest or the most profound thought you've had re lately, but I really just wish we could worship. Now, the call is to worship every day and every moment. I, I get that. But to worship. 
That's the essence of Christmas, right? The celebration, that's the why behind all the what. It's to worship. But as we approach this sacred celebration, a subtle and yet searching question confronts us. Is Christ your king? This question faces every one of us. Is Christ your king? The reality is of our human story is that we are all ruled by something. And it's not because something's wrong with us. It's because we were created that way. God designed us that way. Like the old Bob Dylan song says, you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Now, regardless of your thoughts on Bob Dylan or his music, this song well captures our human experience and our need to serve something. God created us with deep longings for meaning and for purpose to be a part of something more than ourselves, more than our own stories. And we will always, without fail, fill those places of longing with something. With something. We can be ruled by so many things. Our lives can can be ruled by our desires for acceptance always changing who we are, who we know we are to be, to fit into a crowd. People-pleasing becomes our ruler. We can be ruled by a desire to succeed. We sacrifice everything to be able to get that next thing or to prove to someone that we are enough. Our career is king. We can be ruled by our past. Never feeling free from what we have done or that one bad decision, that one season of life, regret becomes our ruler. Addiction might be the tyrant of your life. The longing to escape from that pain becomes king. All of these things are power structures of evil, power structures of that enemy that has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. All of these things that rule us apart from God are part of his power structure to destroy us, to rob us of our rightful life in Christ, to rob us from our created purpose in Christ Jesus. To have these things rule your life is no life at all. And if you're ruled by something like that today, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly how that feels to have a dominating tyrant driving your life. As the band begins to make their way, the good news of the newborn king. The good news of Christmas is that your life can be different. To know Jesus as king is to flip the script on that power struggle. 
is to flip the script and know to be set free from the tyranny of the world and the enemy and the power that wants to destroy you and to understand freedom and new life in Christ Jesus. The invitation of Christmas is to invite him to be the ruler of your life. To know Christ as king means that I am not my own and I am not on my own. It's the invitation of Christmas. You might be wondering, what does that even mean? What does that even mean? I am not my own. I am his. When I am his, that means my past is his, my present is his, and my future is also his. I no longer have to try to grasp and maintain control of those things. He has it. He has it. My whole life story comes under his sovereign rule and grace. I'm no longer grasping for power, trying to maintain control. It's within him. I am not my own. I am his means I have surrendered to him to allow him to author my story, to let go of those things that have so ruled my life. I am not my own. I am his. And secondly, I am not on my own. I am his. I am not on my own. I am his. The king with all the power is the king who is compassionately longing to care for you. You are not alone. You are his. You do not have to fear. You do not have to live in regret and shame. The all-compassionate king has come. He is your peace. He is your rest. You are his. To know Christ as king is to know him as the compassionate shepherd king. So Christmas asks us again, is Christ your king? Is Christ your King? Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.